Welcome back into the Great Scott Show, the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank. We talked to Taylor Humphrey. We talked to Wilson Alexander. We'll talk to Chris Lino later. But right now, time to talk some Saints football with my friend Ralph Malbro of the Saints Happy Hour podcast. And uh, Ralph, yesterday the uh, the Superdome was on fire for a little while. <laughs> I'm sure there was a joke to be made in there somewhere uh, by you and the crew at the Saints Happy Hour podcast. But I I tweeted out, Scott. I tweeted out a picture of Deontay Harris and Jameis Winston celebrating the touchdown against Green Bay, and I said, "This is how the Saints season started." And then I tweeted a picture of the Superdome on fire, and I said, "This is how the season is going currently." Yeah, uh, it pretty much sums up where we are with the Saints, does it not? I mean, Rome is burning, uh, so <laughs> it's it is uh, up and down, hot and cold, and man, I I feel like if like I <laughs> I was talking about you earlier in the show uh, before this segment, I'm like, we're gonna have to check on Ralph's liver. I was like, you know what? <laughs> That's actually true every week. It's it's not so much that you drink when you watch the Saints, but it's the kind of drinking you do because. Yeah. Sometimes the Saints will lose a heartbreaker and you just kind of hit the bottle after. But whenever, you know, you get to the two-minute mark of the first quarter, I bet you were already halfway through it because you could tell pretty early on last Sunday in Charlotte that this is going to be a really, really bad, long game. Oh, I started before. Usually, like, I'll ease into it, like, Sunday morning, I'll get, like, Bloody Mary, and I'm like, or I'll be like, I'm not going to drink until the game starts. No drinking before noon on Sunday, I'm going to pace myself. Man, that inactive list came out on Sunday, and I was like, where's the bottle? Where is it? I need it right now. I don't care that it's not 11. Let's go. Um, you just knew it's kind of missing so many coaches and so many players. Um, the defense actually held up way better than I thought and Peyton Turner looked good we can get to that but the offensive line is just like a complete system failure right it's like the blue screen of death on the computer you don't know if you you don't know if like your 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 computer is it's a calamity and a catastrophe you need a new one or you just reboot it'll be fine but it was it was as bad offensive line play as I've ever seen with the Saints like there's there's no way around it I, you know, you, you being a Saints historian, I ask you this seriously. I mean, when have we ever seen a game where the Saints offensive line was that bad? I mean, there might have been – there maybe there was a game during the, 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 the Ditka years. It was uh, Werfel, Werfel. Werfel when they played, like, San Francisco, Carolina in, like, 90 – I guess it was 90, uh, 90, 97. When they, start, they started 3-0, and like, miraculously. That was, that was 98, yeah, 98. 3-0, and, and it just from there on, it was all downhill from there. And Ditka was like, yeah, we, we, have, we have to not play Werfel because he's going to die. Like we can't like they had they had the hit where it's like the helmets on backwards. I think I think either Carolina or San Francisco, one of the games he got sacked eight times and one of the games they didn't cross midfield. Like that that was as bad as it gets. But that was that was like you the quality of players, you, you, you were like San Francisco's really good and this and that. This offensive line is supposed to be elite and I know they you know like, well, we could, we don't have we had a new guy calling out protection. But my God, Scott, they had people running free through gaps untouched. Um, you know, it was it was awful. I mean, the play sequence at the end of the half where they hit Little Jordan 
for a big gain, and they're like, oh, you're moving, they're moving down the field, 17, maybe you score before half and you get the ball coming out second half. Carolina did the most disrespectful thing I've, I think I've ever seen against a Sean Payton team. They ran the same blitz three play calls in a row, and Jameis went incompletion, incompletion, interception. It felt like for a second, Scott, that Carolina was like a 10-year-old boy playing Madden on the Xbox on like the rookie level, and he just he's finally found a defense that works, mm-hmm. and he's just going to call it and call it and call it. It was, it, was, it was comical, but just the level of disrespect to the Saints, was, it was jaw-dropping. So the question is then, Ralph Malbro, our guest, host of the Saints Happy Hour podcast, also writer about the Saints for WWLTV.com, Saints historian. Like, what? I guess the question really that, yeah, it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. That's always the answer to the question I'm about to ask. So I'm going to ask it differently. We need to rank it in order here, okay? (laughs) How much of the offensive line's ineptitude and complete utter failure against Carolina was not having the bulk of the offensive staff, including the offensive line coach? Um, I don't care about Zach Streif as, you know, the second in command. With respect to Zach, I mean, you didn't have your main O-line coach, right? Um, Mm -hmm. How much of it was... Eric McCoy being gone, a guy that now was in char- put in charge of, you know, uh, pre-snap, okay, blitzes, identifying the mic, who's coming where. How much of it was Cesar Ruiz or Andrus Pete just being awful? How much of it was Jameis Winston? Like, rank those four through uh, for me about, you know, the biggest reasons why it was a complete failure. I mean, I think probably... McCoy being gone is number one, so we'll give that like 35 40%. I think Pete and Ruiz being terrible, you'd probably be surprised. I think that's number two. And I think the coaches, number, the coaches being gone is number three. And I think Jameis really is number four because they didn't want to – they set this up this year. They didn't want to put that on Jameis, right? They just – they wanted the center to do it. So I can't really blame Jameis for missing the calls once it's a fire drill. Um, but I, I really think Pete and Ruiz playing bad and the coaches, you could rank it two or three, but I really think that is of equal measure, right? Because they're playing bad, and maybe if you had coaches, you could fix it or you could help them. So, And because they didn't have coaches, they kept continued to play bad and make the same mistakes. But uh, I would say – McCoy being gone, it's, it was so critical because it's a whole new world for the Saints, Scott. You know, Drew Brees had done that for 15 years, and he had done it so well that not only to have to do it a different way, but to do, have to do it on the road in the first road game the Saints played in two years, by the way, because I didn't have a crowd last year because of COVID. You have that, and you have no coaches. It just it was insurmountable, and. To me, it was almost just the Saints, their line, it, it felt comical. I mean, ran, like, they lost complete and utter confidence. I mean, I saw Ramtech, he got smoked by Burns one time. And that wasn't, that wasn't confusion. Your boy just smoked him. You had Teron Armstead looking confused on who to pick up. Kamara, like, I think the Saints, they looked like a fighter that got hit in the face and they didn't get knocked out. But they had that stand and eight count, and they just never recovered. Like they, like it, it never felt for one time in that game, Scott, where 
I was like, okay, Sean Payton, he's done X and it's fixed the line issues. No, the only solution that he really tried and it kind of worked was he put Taysom in and I guess he told Taysom, just run around. Don't even worry about it. Just, just they're playing man. You just get that ball and you just run around. And he had two carries for 16 yards. Like I never felt for one second like Carolina didn't have their, their foot on the same That's right. Boat. It was, it was, I mean, it really was a role reversal from week one. Um, and and it, it goes back to something I said before the season. I felt like the Saints had the widest gap between their ceiling and their floor than any team in the NFL this year. The one team I would throw in there potentially was Green Bay, and it was more about uh, kind of Rodgers' relationship with management um, as opposed to kind of the roster itself, right? Um, and, and they don't have as much uh, sort of transition. They have a little more continuity with the Saints. It's just such a a transitional season in a lot of ways. And we saw maybe the floor and the ceiling in the first, you know, the ceiling and the floor rather in weeks one and weeks two. Um, and, and we'll get to week three here in a moment, but Ralph Malbro, our guest at saints forecast on Twitter. I, you know, I mean, how were on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the highest, how worried should the saints organization and saints fans be about the wide receiver position? I would say like a seven, I mean, it, I, no, I'll, I'll change it. I would say like a like an eight and a half until Michael Thomas gets back, and then once Michael Thomas gets back, it drops down to like it can drop down to like a four or a five. Michael Tom, and I was arguing with people on Twitter, which is a bad habit of mine. I shouldn't do that, but they were like, no, Michael I Thomas like is not Keep really going to help." Michael Thomas, he will be like going from dial up to high speed internet. Like he will help so much because I believe Callaway, he's a really really nice number three receiver or or a pretty good number two he is not a number one in any sense of the word and michael thomas will help them so much because michael thomas would have helped them yesterday scott i know people make fun of a slant boy whatever you know what michael thomas could have done michael thomas could have got him to second and four a ton right so he's going to help a tremendous amount but until he gets back and if he gets back healthy scott this wide receiver group it ain't good enough and I'll be I'll be very surprised if Kenny Stills isn't playing against the Patriots because this this group it's just it's not good enough they can't get open they can't get open consistently and I'll use this as an example Jameis Winston he was terrible Sunday no no way around that but I will say the one thing he did really well was they had four or five times where Carolina they had a free blitzer coming loose unblocked Jameis spun out of it bought himself time. And if the Saints had better wide receivers, Carolina would have paid for that. You know, how many times you see Aaron Rodgers and Mahomes? They get loose on a blitz that comes home and doesn't land, and it's curtains for the defense. And the Saints, that's because their receivers are not that great. Hogan, Jordan, like they they can't make plays in that in that way. Um, so I would say receiver until Michael Thomas gets back is a monstrous concern. It, it just. Not getting any kind of separation, it feels. I mean, Deontay Harris is great on the deep ball. He's got great speed. Um, but it, it it was such a big concern going into camp. And then Callaway, the star of camp, it was less of a concern. And now it's back to being absolutely a concern. And uh, through two weeks here, man, I I don't know. Now, you're playing the Patriots. It's not like they have great receivers. And they're a team that... 
honestly, you look at their first two games and they probably should have won week one, but they turned it over. And then week two, Belichick's like, look, we're playing the Jets. I'm going to be conservative as hell. We're going to dink and dunk them to death. We're not going to turn the ball over. Mac Jones isn't going to take any long shots. We're just going to play it safe. And they did. And guess what? They walloped the Jets in terms of point differential. And if you go back and look at the stat sheet, you're like, wow, New York was able to kind of move a little bit. I'd be lying if I told you I watched that game start to finish. I didn't. I was, you know, um, the opposite of gleefully watching the Saints. It was it was painful, but it was what it was. You know, at least my liver is better off than yours is right now, Ralph. Week three against the Patriots. I feel like week one was kind of the ceiling. Week two was the floor. Are we somewhere with the Saints? Is it kind of in between for this Sunday's game? Where are you at right now, Pates, Patriots? Patriots, excuse me. Uh, minus three in terms of the, the the sports books right now. Where are you at with this matchup? I mean, it's a three point game for the Patriots. They're favored by three, so that's you know that's pretty much an even game by bookie standards. I, I would say this. I'm in the middle. New England. They got run on by the Jets. So if you want some hope for the Saints, if they can get their line situation to not be a disaster. The Jets ran on New England. I rewatched the game in, like, super high speed with the remote. Um, Zach Wilson, he made a bunch of critical errors, and it got out of hand. But they, the Jets had a moment there where you were like, they're moving the ball. They're averaging, averaging five yards a run. And here's the thing. You know New England went into that game thinking – we got to stop the Jets from running the ball. And they didn't really until Zach Wilson fell completely apart. So that gives you hope on the Saints' end. Um, and listen, the Saints' defense, Scott, they, they're still a brick wall against the run. In New England, they want to run the ball, like you said, to protect Mac Jones. The Saints, they were without Davenport. They were without Onyemata. They had some guy named Ringo. They had Shy Tuttle. Hey, Christian, Christian, Christian Ringo's my guy. I know Chris, so I gotta, I gotta, I have to at least step in. Sorry, Chris is my guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we love him, but let's be realistic. We weren't thinking of him being a rock solid guy for the Saints week two, and he was like yeah. he. He was even Scott. I looked. I was like, not only is he holding it down against the run, he was getting a little bit of pressure. He, he's good. He's a good pass rusher in so, the interior. And I thought, I thought that that roughing the passer on him was. I, I looked. The one on Peyton Turner was the right call. I thought the one on Ringo was weak. Weak, weak. But that to me is a great sign that the Saints, despite everything, the defense, the injuries, suspension, the run defense is still a brick wall. Right? They held McCaffrey down. And Carolina was still trying to run him, even though they had, I don't know why you're giving a guy 30 carries in a game. You got one that you're playing against Thursday night. But that's not my problem. Uh, so I look at this defense, Scott, and you get Chauncey Gardner-Johnson back. You get Lattimore back against New England's receivers. Maybe it's a little bit more sticky. You get maybe a half a second more, and maybe that would, that'll be enough to get to Mac Jones and cause pressures and turnovers and that sort of thing. But as long as their run defense is good, the Saints will be in games. And for all the for everything that happened with Carolina, like if the Saints had just not been a co like if they had figured it out, the offensive line, if they had figured it out in the fourth quarter, if they had finally put it together, they could have marched down and made that a one score game as as much as it was a it was an absolute – the house was on fire. It was burned to the ground, right? But it wasn't that far to reach, and it wasn't that far to reach 
because their defense just kept them in. They blocked a field goal. Roach had an interception. And, oh, by the way, the Saints special teams crushed Carolina. For the Saints to lose that game 26-7 and be as dominant as they are or on special teams was a sight to behold. Gillikin is an amazing punter. Ty Montgomery replaced Hardy as a gunner. They're, they're as good as ever on special teams. So they've still got all these things, Scott, that can make them a good team. It's just they can't fall behind. And even though we think of Jameis as like this big-armed quarterback and he's going to make the things vertical, they still, Scott, they get off schedule and I go to the liquor bottle immediately. Like third, third and more than six for the Saints is almost like automatic death. ESPN fourteen twenty. Um Let's go. Let's 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 try to be positive here as we wrap up this conversation, Ralph. And I guess you kind of did touching on the defense and special teams, but I mean, what what is the offense going to look like on Sunday in your mind? Strictly the offensive line. It can't be worse than it was. What's Belichick's game plan? What are you anticipating? I anticipate the Saints not going a lot of empty. I think Jameis is going to be under center more. I think the Saints are going to go heavy or big personnel, call it whatever you want. And they are going to try to mash the Patriots. And the Patriots are going to know it's coming. And if the Saints get in third and five and longer, the Patriots will unleash exotic blitzes and it'll be up to the Saints to figure it out. But you still got Camara, and let me tell you something. New England, I know they 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 got like Nelson Aguiar. Like their receivers are still pretty terrible. Like I'm confident the Saints are going to lock down um, those receivers. And by the way, uh, I know Darnold threw for threw 300 yards or whatever, but I was still imp- I was impressed with Adebo. He didn't he didn't give up any big plays. They tried to hit Anderson a couple times. He looked good. I think Roby is going to be a really nice addition to the Saints. I think the Saints are going to lock down New England. Unfortunately, Scott, I just I think this offense is going to still I think it's still going to struggle and it's still going to be like the Saints are going to want to get in mud wrestling competitions all year and it's going to be. You know, can we get to twenty? Can we get to twenty-four points and win this game? Can we get to twenty-one and our defense be great? I just think they are, as far as their offensive capabilities, until Michael Thomas gets back. Ralph Malbro has been our guest. A lot of Saints fans are saying, "Just hang on till the bye, win a couple, and go from there." Uh, in the meantime, I just I hope they can get to Sunday with a coaching staff, and a semblance of a team <laughs> after what happened last week. Uh, at Saints Forecast, that's the handle from my man, Ralph. Of course, at Saints Happy Hour. If you're not subscribed to the Saints Happy Hour podcast, you're doing it wrong, especially if you're a Saints fan. It's fun. It's jokes. It's guys busting each other's balls, um, metaphorically, of course. Um, and just, you know, I mean, it's – I. I I don't listen to much sports because I work in this medium, right? What I want to listen to when I'm not at work is fun and something that interests me. And, uh, and that's what the guys bring to the table with Saints Happy Hour podcast. So uh, go support them. Check it out. I know you guys got a pretty strong following here in Lafayette. Keep it up, my man, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. We'll talk again soon, Scott, anytime. That is Ralph Malbro. When we come back, Chris Lano is going to join me. 
Where is he at? He was pretty bullish on the Cajun secondary before the season, but what about after three games? And scared money don't make money. Billy Napier's moment that went viral. What does it do for the program and more? We'll dig in. It's coming your way next right here. Don't go anywhere. I'm Scott Prather. It's ESPN 